We have a tight program this morning, as you all know, but following this next program will be a lunch break and that other kind of break that us and our dogs will all be wishing for. At this moment in time, we will be, um, we will be bringing up the president of Guide Dog Users of Florida, Mr. Doug Hall, to introduce this particular veterinarian who is going to bring to us the presentation as described in the program um, and his very special relationship with her and then she's going to do a presentation for us and once again we will we will take time for as many questions as we possibly can so without any further ado I'd like to bring on the president of guide dog users of Florida Doug Hall Hang in a minute, people. Doug's fast. He'll get up here. Dr. Roger. Logos will be standing, and you yes. may as well stand there. Ooh, nice big table. Yeah, All there right. you go. There Got you go. it. Thank Got you. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. may we have your attention. We're ready to begin now. Thank Good. you. Good morning. Okay. As soon as you're quiet, you know, I'm a, I'm a president of a Lions Club, and my philosophy is there can only be one meeting at a time. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to start. Um, I'm Doug Hall, president of Guide Dog Uses of Florida, which is our, our primary sponsor of our event. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I want to take uh, a moment of privilege and thank our wonderful team that put together this weekend. They've done a great job. Okay, now, not to waste any more time. Um, my past dog, uh, Wolf, had allergies for six years, severe allergies. And the vet, my vet, and, and you probably the same thing, my vet was not able to deal with a lot of the allergies. And he recommended I take Wolf to a veterinary dermatologist for services. Um, he was expensive. Um, he, uh, he received a lot of treatment. Um, I learned a lot of stuff that I don't necessarily want to know. But I met a wonderful lady during that time who is a veterinary dermatologist. She's been in the field for better than 25 years. Of course, I'm not sure that she's that, that old yet. Um, anyway, 
she's got a fund of information and I think instead of listening to me you want to hear her she has some great information great ideas you know and she'll probably say this too allergies are a huge and growing problem among all animals especially guide dogs all over the country especially here in the south so let me turn the mic over to Dawn Logos DVM who is a, a veterinary dermatologist, and let her share her fund of information with you. Dawn? Thank you. Thank you, Doug. And, um, yeah, I wanted to say I want to kind of – this this talk is for Wolf, who is Doug's former dog, who I'm going to get choked up. I'm going to miss. He was a sweetie pie. He was my cookie monster. And he was always such a good dog, but he would come in there and just act like a fool to get cookies. So – um, I, I will miss him. <clears throat> but let me just uh, mention a little bit. I'm going to go over some things about why your dogs are itchy. And part of the problem, I think, with do guide dogs are when I look under these tables, this looks like my waiting room, okay? Unfortunately, golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers, and to some extent, German shepherds are very common dogs with particularly what we'll call atopic dermatitis or pollen allergens, which is an inherited disease. So it is somewhat in the, the bloodlines. There are things we can do to help diminish it, and things are getting better, but right now what I want to do is help you guys pick up the early symptoms of this so maybe we can keep it from getting as bad as it can get. So the first thing to understand is just because your dog's itchy does not mean he has allergies. Although allergies are a very common reason, there are other reasons that your dog will itch. And two of the most common other reasons that we're going to see are something called secondary infections. And the problem with these secondary infections are that those will make your dog itchier than they would be with just their allergies. And they also add odor, you know, those odors when they smell like dirty socks or Frito chips. Allergies don't do that. Those are the secondary infections. And I'm going to try and describe, I told Doug or <clears throat> my um, partner, I was starting to think about what I was going to say to you guys. And I said, I'm going to have to get slides together. And my, my partner said, uh, you're talking to blind people. Slides aren't going to do you a whole bunch of good. And it's like, no, you're right. So what I want to try and do is give you guys an idea from your perspective, what you can feel, see, or feel, smell, and to get an idea of what's going on with your dog, where their lesions are, and stuff like that. So let's talk about, again, two, the first two things are yeast and bacteria. So yeast is the first thing we're going to talk about, and this is fairly common. Again, this is not a disease your dog picked up from somewhere. This is a normal organism on your dog that because your dog potentially has allergies and other problems, it can cause an issue. So for yeast, the best places to look for yeast or where they're going to bother your dog is on their feet. If your dog, you, again, you smell your dog's feet, dog's feet, yeah, they're going to have a little odor, but they really shouldn't have a strong bad odor. Again, they shouldn't smell like those Frito corn chips or your teenage son's dirty socks. That's not a smell you want to get. Also, Licking of the feet is one of the most common symptoms you're going to see with that. Also, you're going to feel in between those toes and they're going to feel thickened. Like if your dog has no problems, feel in between his toes and he's got a nice, just like ours, just a little bit of skin in between there. But when they start to have allergy issues or with this yeast, it's going to start to get thickened. You're going to get this waxy stuff that builds up. It can build up around the nails. It can make them very itchy there. Okay. 
round the lips, same thing. They're going to get crusty around there, kind of greasy stuff around there, and can be very itchy. In fact, some dogs with yeast around their lips are so itchy, people think they're having seizures. Because when, when they get touched there, they're so intense on itching it, they act almost like they're having a seizure. Okay? Other areas for yeast, under the armpits, in between the legs, and around the anal area. Okay, So those are just kind of areas to think. Again, allergies don't make you smell. It's, the smells are usually secondary infections. So now let's talk about bacteria, which are very common. We call them pyodermas. Again, allergies don't make your hair fall out. You scratch it out. But if you can go along your dog and pick clumps of hair out, you know, you pick those clumps out and you can feel them and they're kind of moist and gooey or you're feeling down your dog and there's lots of little crusties on them. And if you remove those crusties, it's kind of moist underneath those. Those are secondary bacterial infections. Okay. So those are issues we've kind of got to get under control before we start worrying about allergies. Now, those are things your veterinarian should be able to take care of for you, doing topical shampoos work, antifungals or antibacterials, um, as far as antibiotics and stuff to take care of those. Once you get those under control, then you want to go back and you want to start saying, okay, now where's my dog itchy? When is he itchy? And that will help us decide what kind of allergies we may have. Now, when I'm talking about allergies, as far as for me as a, as a specialist, there's really five groups of allergies, believe it or not. We're going to talk about three of them today and two that we're not going to talk about because honestly, the dogs you all have mostly, we don't see it as much in, is contact allergy. So contact means literally like you would get poison oak or poison ivy. Your dog's bare skin has to touch it. So yes, if your dog's belly is always red and bumpy and stuff, we might have a problem. I see it more in dachshunds, and most of you guys do not have dachshunds for your guide dogs. So, okay? So that's going to be different. And then the other thing we have are other insect allergies. And what I mean by that is not flea. We're going to talk about flea because your, your guys are out all the time meeting in other animals and other, um, in other places. But insect allergies to mosquitoes and noceums. And that does happen, so we do see that, but it's not as common. All right, so the three allergies we're going to really talk about is we're going to talk a little bit about flea, some about food allergy, and then we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of the time on atopy or pollen allergen, which unfortunately, like I said, is what we see in a lot of guide dogs because it's an inherited issue and it's probably in some of the, the lines of dogs that are being used. So how about flea allergy? How do we differentiate flea allergy for something else? So I will tell you, most dogs who are flea allergic, you never see a flea on them, okay? Okay, so you never find a flea on them. It is not that common to find fleas. Why? Because that dog is so intense and in getting those fleas off. And it doesn't, it's not flea infestation. It means that dog is insensitive to the bite of the flea, okay? So where are you going to find these lesions on your dog? If when a dog comes in, if the back half of that dog is where the lesions are, which means he's chewing his butt, chewing his back legs, Okay, making a bald spot on his rear end, what we used to call baboon butt, which means you feel it down and he's got like no hair on either side of his rear end, that's a flea allergic dog. Whether I find fleas or not, 
that's a flea allergic dog. And then a couple other things that'll help you <clears throat> is when, you know, most of the time dogs who are just flea allergic, they're not going to be licking and chewing at their feet. Okay, that's other allergies. They're not going to have ear infections. Now they could have, you know, unfortunately allergies don't live in a, in a um, bubble. So many times when we have one kind of allergy, we have others. But if all your dog is doing is causing lesions on the back half of his body, the first allergy you want to make sure you don't have is flea. And the problem is for you and what's happening even more, it used to be when you would go out, and you are talking about this at the airport, mostly the dogs you're going to see that everybody's around with are guide dogs. Now everybody takes their dog everywhere, okay? So everywhere you are going to have much more option that your animal is going to get exposed to things than they used to, okay? So using any of the good products. I, I'm not going to say one product is better than the other. Okay, If you bathe your dog a lot, you're probably going to want to use one of the oral flea products. If you don't bathe the dog that often because you don't need to, the, the topicals are fine. A couple of things to understand about flea, flea products. They are not 100%. They do not put a bubble around your dog that like, you know, and this impenetrable thing that the, the, the fleas die as soon as they cross this border. And as the time goes on, and you get closer to the end of the month or the three months when you're supposed to put more stuff on, guess what? Those fleas live longer on the dog than they did at the beginning of the month. So what does that mean for you? What we want to do is if to help make sure we don't get a population of fleas in your environment and stuff is besides what you put on the pet, you want to make sure you use something in your environment. And I normally just recommend what's called an IGR. And an IGR is just the insect growth regulator. They're very safe. Okay, Inside the house, you're not going to hurt anything else. These are Nylar and Precor are the more common ones. Basically think about it like birth control for fleas, okay? That's really what it does. So that means if your dog happens to bring home a pregnant mommy flea who then ha starts to have eggs, remember a flea can produce 40 eggs a day, one flea, okay? So even if it dies after 10 days or five days, you know, at that point, you've already got a lot of eggs in your environment, and you're going to get a population started. Where if you have the nylar in, the, in your environment, those eggs are not going to develop, okay? So you don't have to put a lot of poisons, but that for, especially for dogs who are in and out and visiting a lot of other places, I highly recommend that for your environment. Inside. Outside kind of depends. I don't like to use them outside because they hurt good bugs as well as bad bugs. Most people don't want any bugs in their house, so we don't honestly care if it kills the bugs, other bugs in the house. But it is so good at, at stopping life cycles, we don't want to use it outside much. Okay? So that's just, yes, ma'am. It's what, so the Nylar, the Precor, the best places to get them, you can get them at Home Depot or something. You can also go to like do-it-yourself pest control. You buy the little bottle and you can get the little sprayer yourself. Many of the bombs actually have Precor or Nylar in them also, okay? It's part of the bomb. But if you just want to use the growth regulators, you can buy just a little bottle of the growth regulators and you want to use it about every three months, okay? Yes, ma'am. 
Uh, yeah, and the nice thing with it, these act as, for, um, as pheromones. So what this does is usually for the flea, what's supposed to happen is this hormone for fleas is supposed to go down when the population is low and the fleas go, oh, we need to make more fleas. If it stays, but as more fleas are in the environment, that goes up, so there's not too many fleas for the environment. Well, we're artificially making it up so the flea doesn't think it should reproduce. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it is so wonderful to be spontaneous, but when you ask a question without the microphone, it does not get streamed. Plus, we want to give Dr. Logos a chance to give her entire presentation to us. So please, let's hold our questions till she says the end, <laughs> and we will have a mic runner, and we will try to call on you, as many of you as possible. Uh, Dr. Logos, can yeah. you stay for about 10 or 15 oh, minutes absolutely. after? So if you don't get your question answered, we'll tell you where Dr. Logos is going to be. And so now we're going to... I'm going to shut up and let her continue <laughs> with her presentation. All righty. Thank you. And yeah, and, and the question was, where can we get this? And like I said, best place is like a do-it-yourself pest control. So that's just like a quick and dirty about fleas. So now let's spend the le rest of this time. I want to talk to you guys about um, food allergy first and then, and then atopy. So food allergy really quick. The hard thing in the South okay, is that most of the dogs I deal with, if they have pollen allergens or food allergy, they itch all, all year long, okay? So you can't really differentiate those two. And I don't care what other people tell you, this is me as I've been a dermatologist for, you know, tw over 25 years, I can't look at a dog and say it's food allergic because of where his signs are. It, it, dogs who are food allergic don't lick their butt more, don't do this more, don't do that more than dogs who are atopic, okay? You cannot look at a dog and say he's food allergic or not, right? We do it by history. So now if you're lucky and you live up north where there's actually seasons and your dog's only itchy part of the year, then he's not food allergic. Because unless you switch the food all of the time, food is constant, all right? So we're going to talk a little bit about food. So if your dog is itchy all year round, what is food allergy? Now, food allergy is a little bit weird because it can make dogs extremely itchy and it can make them just a little itchy and get infections. It can make them chew their feet. It makes them get ear infections, okay? Um, those are probably the most common symptoms that we see with it. So you're, again, looking for a dog who's licking, chewing their feet. Are they getting recurrent ear infections? And ear infections, again, a dog's ear should have a little odor, but if your dog has more than a little bit of odor and more than a little bit of discharge coming out of the ear, then that's an issue. Your dog's having a problem with his ear. So food, again, best way to control an allergy is you avoid what you're allergic to, okay? So if you avoid it, then it can't cause you a problem. Nice thing with dogs, they don't go out to dinner, they, well, your dogs do, but but it usually, you know, most dogs don't go out to dinner, and they, you know, you pretty much know what they get, okay? They don't have to worry about what sauce is on the food, and did the chef add, you know, fish sauce to this or something like that. So you're controlling what they're getting. So once you're worried that your dog may have food allergy, unfortunately, to diagnose it, though, the really only way to do it well is to go on what we call it a good food trial with a novel protein and carbohydrate, okay? There are lots of blood tests available, but unfortunately, any time we have taken those tests 
and tried scientifically to see if they're accurate, they are not. Okay? So there's always new tests coming out, but right now, none of them have come out. And what I mean by that is we get a lot of what we call false positives and false negatives. And that means the test says your dog's allergic to chicken, you give him chicken, and he doesn't react. The test says your dog's not allergic to chicken, you give him chicken, and he does react. So for me, as a clinician, it doesn't give me any good information. So I have got to put your dog on a really strict diet. Okay. The diets that, that are going to be suggested to you, they're not magic. They're not better for you. There for a while, it was like somehow lamb was this magic food that you put a dog on and he didn't have allergies. You can be allergic to lamb as well as you can be allergic to anything else. And I will tell you all now, Grain is not that big a deal for dogs, okay? There are some dogs who are grain allergic, but it's not that common. The most common things I see allergies to are chicken, beef, and egg. And the reason for that is if you look at most dog foods, chicken, beef, and egg are in many, many dog foods, okay? If you're going to do this, you really, it's worth spending the money and getting a veterinary diet either from Hills or Royal Canaan because I know they're not cross-contaminated. And what I mean by that, it's just like if you, you're allergic to peanuts or somebody in your family is, you always make sure all the snack foods don't say prepared in a facility where peanuts were processed. Well, the problem we found is a lot of these over-the-counter foods, they say they have venison in it, and they do, but they also have a little bit of chicken and a little bit of beef and a little bit of soy. They're not lying to you. It's just where they're processed, and that can upset a food trial, okay? Because what I want to find with this food trial is does your dog get less itchy? Most dogs who are food allergic, being on a good food are being on a good food trial within about four to six weeks, they're going to be at least 40 to 50% better. Okay? It may take six months before they get all better, but they're going to be appreciably better where you're saying, he's not licking his feet, I'm not hearing that anymore, he's not shaking his head. You know, Those are the things that you're going to look for, and those are the things that we want to know what, what's kind of going on. Now, that doesn't mean if your vet puts you on a diet and you come back in and said, yeah, I, he, I, he's less itchy, <clears throat> but maybe only about 20%, 30%. As a dermatologist who deals with diseases that last lifetimes, if I have a 20 or 30% better, I don't give that up, okay? That is a 20%, 30% I don't have to worry about. So that may mean your dog has food and something else going on. So if your dog is at least somewhat better on the food trial, keep doing the food, but then we start looking for other issues. Does that kind of make sense for everybody? Is kind of This is kind of a building process, okay? So food, the other really important things to remember with food is they cannot have anything else, okay? They eat something else. A friend of mine, I love his statement. It's like, how many almond butter sandwiches do you have to eat if you're allergic to peanut butter before you can eat a peanut butter sandwich? Well, right. It doesn't matter, and that's really the same with the dog. You can't give him other stuff. You can't use something he's always had to give him his pills. You can't, you know, cheese you can't use for pills. You can't do those things. You have to make sure he's strictly on this diet Why we're seeing if he's allergic. Most dogs, if they're food allergic, they're allergic to one or two things, okay? It's not like they're allergic to everything. 
Once we say, okay, yes, we put them back on your old food and you get itchy again, which is how we tell, then we can say, well, we're going to add chicken in first, and then we're going to add this in. So you add in one ingredient at a time so we can figure out which things really are bothering them. Okay. And again, for you guys, that's going to be better because unfortunately where you are, he's got their, they've got availability to, to stuff if they pick it up off the ground and those kind of things that they can get easier exposure. Okay. So that's food. So now we're at the point where we still have an itchy dog. All his secondary infections are gone. We've said yes, no food. Now we're left with a dog who's still looking and chewing his feet. Still getting ear infections, okay? Maybe scratching everywhere, rubbing that face. Those are all very common signs of what's called atopic dermatitis, or for us, pollen allergens, okay? So atopic dermatitis, the biggest first thing to understand about it is this is a disease your dog is going to have, unfortunately, for the rest of his life, okay? It is a chronic disease. It's just like having diabetes or something else. And I always have people ask me, what's well, like, well, you know, people outgrow their allergies. And some people do outgrow their allergies. But the big thing to remember is most people who outgrow their allergies outgrow them by the time they go through puberty, okay? When do dogs go through pu puberty? Six to nine months. Most of them never come see me <laughs> because they're itchy. Six, seven, oh, I got an itchy puppy, and then he grows out of it. So I'm sure there are some dogs who outgrow this. But most dogs, if they're over a year and they're still licking and chewing or they start more licking and chewing at two to four, that is a problem, okay? So those are dogs that probably are atopic. As I said at first, unfortunately, it is seen in genetically in certain groups of dogs. And I will tell you, the, the breeds of dogs that I see, number one, again, are the ones that are laying under these tables, okay? We have Labrador days where every bloody dog that comes through my door is a Labrador or maybe a golden. And now, and now honestly, the worst ones now are the golden and Labradoodles. They unfortunately have worse allergies than, than the others, but they're very common. So, so Labradors, Golden Retrievers, Cocker Spaniels, Shepherds to a certain extent, unfortunately. So these are all very common dogs that, that we see allergies in. So once we have a history where somebody comes in and tells me, yes, my dog's itchy. You guys know he, he's been itching. Yes, we've ruled out all this other stuff. He has signs that are, are similar. And again, what you're going to look for is what's happening with those feet. Do you hear him lick, 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 lick his feet all night? If you look in between his toes or feel in between his toes, are the, it, what we call the inner digital spaces, so the spaces in between those toes, is that thickened? Is it gooey, okay? Is he kind of swollen or a little uncomfortable around his nail beds, okay? Does he have lesions or uh, like he's scratching at his face so he may have hair loss there or he may have some little scabbies around his face just from rubbing? Does he have chronic ear infections? Okay, those are all things that you're going to kind of look for and where he's itching. The big thing to remember about pollen allergy is pollen allergy itself. You don't necessarily have to have lesions. It can just be an itchy dog. Okay, so many of the times, like we talked about first, the itching or the, the lesions come from secondary infections. But if you have an itchy dog, a dog should itch a little bit, 
But a dog that you chronically have to say, stop licking your feet, stop doing that, stop doing that, that dog is licking their feet too much. Okay. Once we know that, then I can tell you that your dog is allergic. Right? There is no test to tell you that your dog is allergic. Right? We're going to talk about allergy testing, but that is a therapeutic tool. That is only to s for people who want to put their dogs on allergy shots. Okay? It is not what we call a diagnostic tool. It is a therapeutic tool. I know your dog's allergic because of their history and their clinical signs. Okay. So now once we've diagnosed that, as I said, unfortunately, this is pretty much a chronic disease. My job as a dermatologist and a veterinarian is to find the safest, easiest, and hopefully most cost-effective way to keep your dog as comfortable as we can for his lifetime. So we're going to talk about some therapies here and how they work and, and you know, uh, which ones that you want to, want to use. So first of all, if you have a young dog who's already licking and chewing a little bit, okay, he's not bad, but he's licking and chewing a little bit, one of the first things that you can try are actually fatty acids. So these are N3 fatty acids or fish oil. There's some great studies that show that this helps decrease the inflammatory responses to allergies, and it also helps with the barrier function, which means the, the barrier of the skin to help replace that. And if I have a young dog, very minimal symptoms, that would be the first thing that I could, would try. Now, you can get those as um, capsules, you can get it as liquid, or now there's a couple of very good foods that are out. Royal Canin makes one, Hills makes one called Derm Defense. It's very high in N3 fatty acids. Now, the Derm Defense also has some other stuff in it that sounds great, but they don't have a lot of science behind it, but they do have a lot of fatty acids in it, which does have a lot of really good science behind it. For a young dog, mild itching, or any dog if it's just mild itching, that's a very good place to start, okay? And for about probably 20, 25% of those dogs, that's going to be all you need to do, okay? That will control their symptoms. Antihistamines, which are a big thing we use for allergies, honestly don't work great for dogs. And unfortunately for what your dogs do, it varies with these. These can sedate them and make them not as responsive to you, so they're not honestly that probably great. And most of the help they do for a lot of the other dogs is probably more let them sleep through the night, okay? So they're not very effective. The, the problem is, is when we're looking at it, mostly you and I would take antihistamines because we've got hay fever and we've got runny nose and those kind of things. It works great for that. Even in people with atopic dermatitis, oral antihistamines don't make a big difference. When they check them with placebos, which means they give you a sugar pill or they give you anti-inflammatory or they give that, it just doesn't work, okay? It's okay. <laughs> um, so where else do we go from there? Say your dog now is, we've tried the fatty acids and we're getting more itchy, which can happen every season that you're exposed to those allergens, your allergies are going to get a little worse and a little worse. Some dogs kind of plateau. 
other dogs, and if you've had an allergic dog, you know that. Well, the first year is a little itchy, maybe in spring or something like that. And then the next year, especially if you live here in Florida, now it's spring and fall, and now it's all year. And then it gets to be, you know, continuous itch all the time, okay, which is very, very common down here. So now we have that dog who's itchy more than just a little bit and, and more severe. What other things can we do to kind of help control that? When we talk about long, long term, the safest, best way is to do immunotherapy. And we'll talk about that last for a, f uh, for a few minutes. And then, like I said, then I'll be happy to answer questions about it. But the first thing we're going to talk about is putting out the fires. So when I talk to people about Atopy, I talk about we have drugs that put out the fires, and then we have drugs that we want to use to build the firewalls. All right. So putting out the fires, really at this point we have about four good drugs. Right. Three of them are oral, one of them is injection. The three oral ones, the big thing to understand, they are all immunosuppressive. How they work is they suppress the dog's immune system to a certain extent and that's what stops the itch. Okay. So I'm going to go through them and give you some pluses and minuses of, uh, for, as far as I'm concerned for all these. So let's start with the oldest and the least expensive, and that's pred, okay, steroids. Prednisone, still a great drug. If I have a really, a dog with really bad flea allergy who's just going crazy, I'll put him on pred for a week to, to 10 days, because that's going to stop his itch. 98% of dogs that have allergic disease, you give them prednisone, they're going to stop their itch. Okay. So it is still cheapest, most effective. Unfortunately, it's also the one that comes with the most side effects. And these can range greatly. Okay. So the most common side effects we actually see with it is you're going to get your dog maybe to pant more. He's going to urinate more. He's going to want to steal food. Okay. Yeah. So he's going to want to eat whatever he can. So those are the most common things. Long term, why we don't like it is you, you need to remember, besides being an immunosuppressive, glucocorticoids, which is what we're using, are also a hormone. And they're what are called a catabolic hormone. So you all know about the bodybuilders, they, they take testosterone and stuff. Well, testosterone, those are what are called anabolic steroids. So they build muscle up, they build cartilage up, they do those things. Well, in your body, you have to have yin and yang. So if that's the yin, the yang is glucocorticoids. And those glucocorticoids are there to break things down. So over time, they break down your cartilage, they break down your your collagen, which is your your adhesive stuff, okay? That's why dogs who have been on it a lot, they, they get what's called pot belly. So their belly kind of just rolls because that all those um, uh, usual tissues that are nice and tight are nice and loose now, okay? They, because they're immunosuppressive, they do make it more, you make, make you more susceptible to infections. Now, not necessarily badly. I have dogs who have to be on steroids because they have an autoimmune disease, and those dogs live usually just as long as, as other dogs, um, to, to the most part. But those dogs have to be on allerg, on, and, um, steroids. For my allergic dogs, I have a lot of other things usually that I can do that are much safer long term than being on steroids. So, I would not recommend steroids as a chronic treatment for your dog unless you have to for other reasons. If you do, the other things that's very important to remember is, again, they're much more susceptible to infections. That means ringworm, 
So again, your dogs are out a lot. That means any other kind of infection, plus they're much more susceptible to getting urinary tract infections. And these guys don't act like a dog with a urinary tract infection. If you've ever had one, you know they got to go out, go, or if you've ever had one, got to go to the bathroom, got to go, got to go, because your bladder hurts. Well, because this has anti-inflammatory too, guess what? Your bladder doesn't hurt, but you are growing all kinds of bacteria in there. So if you have a dog on chronic steroids, at least once a year he needs to have or she needs to have her urine cultured. Not just a urinalysis, but her urine cultured to be sure there's not a infection in there that you can't tell. Okay, so that's steroids. And like I said, I don't want people to be afraid of steroids. Still a great drug. Thank God we have them because there'd be lots of things that we couldn't treat without them. But for allergies at this point, it's the last thing that I want you to use, you know, long, long term for them. So what's the next oldest and what we have? And that would be atopica or what's called cyclosporin. And cyclosporin atopica has been out for veterinary medicine in the form of atopica for about 10 to 12 years now. Um, Safety-wise, as far as causing other issues and stuff besides being immunosuppressive, it's, it's minimal, all right, at the doses we use it at. Um, there is no increase in cancer, which is one of the things we are worried about. Cyclosporin first was used in people for transplants, and people who get it for transplants have an increased rate of cancer. But a big difference is, again, dogs, we might think they're humans, but they're not, and their physiology reacts differently. Dogs don't absorb it as well. So they are not, if you gave a person and a dog the same amount of drug, the person is going to have a lot more of that drug in their body than the dog is because the dog's GI tract just does not absorb it as well. Okay, So good drug. It's a little slower. It, I would tell you it reacts down here in, in the south. Probably about 60% of the dogs will it make them comfortable at a daily dose. Okay, so that's, that's not bad, but it's not great. It takes about four to six weeks usually to take effect. And its biggest downside is it hurts your pocketbook a lot. Okay, it's really expensive, you know. And then the other major side effect with it is about 20% of the dogs that I deal with, it really upsets their GI tract. Okay, probably not the drug as much as what it's mixed in is castor oil. So castor oil can be really tough on your GI tract, and that's the only thing they can mix it in. Now, there's some ways we can diminish that. You know, we freeze the tablets, we divide the dose and everything, but some dogs, it just does not work for their stomach. And like I said, big dogs, like what you guys have, you're talking if they have to be on it daily, the full dose, um, you're probably looking about $5,000 a year to be on it. So it's, yeah, I know, it's really expensive, okay? So... That's its biggest downside, I would say, would, would be the GI and then still the expense. All right. Now, saying that it's a better anti-inflammatory than the next two drugs we're going to talk about. So like steroids, it's got a really good anti-inflammatory response. Um, the other nice thing is, is with atopica, sometimes you can get to just a couple of times a week. Okay. In the South, I have a hard time doing that. I have friends up north. They have lots of dogs who can live on it twice a week. And then twice a week, expense-wise, it's not going to be any more expensive than the, the next drug we're going to talk about, okay? But if you have to stay daily, it gets really expensive really fast. 
right. So the next drug is probably one if you guys have allergic dogs, you've all heard about, and that's the new, you know, super wonder drug, gonna put me out of business drug, Apoquil, okay? I tell you, I'm not worried. <laughs> it's not gonna put me out of business, okay? It's a great drug, okay? So Apoquil is a newer drug that came out. It's a new class of drugs. So this drug actually affects what's called a receptor in the cells. And these are called jack receptors, which I know don't mean anything to you. They mean jack, and that's fine, okay? <laughs> but just remember, that jack receptor, there's more than one kind of jack receptor. But the nice thing with Apoquil is Apoquil mainly affects what's called jack one And jack one mainly affects allergies. Now, you notice I'm saying mainly. It does have other effects, all right? In fact, if you try and breed mice with no jack ones you know this is the nice thing we can do with mice they don't survive it's a lethal deletion okay that means they can't live without it so there are other things it does than just allergies but the main thing it does is allergies so apoquil price wise honestly if your dog has to be on a half to one tablet a day is not bad okay so it is not it's not that bad as far as cost wise um, it is still immunosuppressive, so it still suppresses part of the other parts of the other immune system. If at once a day, which is the recommended dose long term, it probably helps about 70, 75% of the dogs. Okay. It does not help with the itch from infections. It really probably doesn't help with the itch much from food allergy. I can tell you for that for sure, because this is one of the tests we use now. We'll put dogs on Apoquil in a food trial. We'll switch the food. If the dog gets, he'll still be on Apoquil, but if he's food allergic, we switch the food. He gets itchy. Okay, so that, so that's a good test for us. So it's mainly for atopic dermatitis or pollen allergens. It's so far, the nice thing we like about it is it's relatively safe for short-term use. Now, short-term use for a dermatologist is two to three years, okay? Right? Short-term use is not um, two months, right? I deal with diseases a dog's going to have their whole life. So it has been out long enough. We have dogs that have been fine with that. Again, still an immunosuppressive. I have dogs that get mange secondary to it. I've had plenty of dogs. And again, your dogs, mange is not catching, but what is is papillomavirus or warts. Okay, so warts is something that, for whatever reason, what else this drug affects makes dogs much more susceptible to get papillomavirus. Okay? So just just know that. And for you guys, again, they're meeting other dogs, they're other places, they're going to be more exposed. Where, honestly, I see it most are dogs who go to daycare and all that where there's lots of other puppies and stuff. One puppy has warts, and if your dog's on an Apoquil, now he's going to have warts. Okay, so just that's another kind of common thing that we see. It's not as anti-inflammatory as atopica or pred. And what I mean by that is it stops the itch, great. But you'll get dogs where it stops the itch, but it doesn't make them less red. It doesn't make them um, uh, probably less red, less scaly, and those kind of things. We don't see those changes as quickly as we do with steroids or, or atopica. Okay. That doesn't mean you don't. It does affect other things. The big no-no or the big thing you need to understand is many times if you're put on it, you're put on it twice a day for 14 days and then once a day. 
And what I don't do that anymore because most people went, oh, when you switch to once a day, they get worse. So what do you do? You bump them back up to twice a day. Do you call the veterinarian and ask? No, nobody calls the veterinarian and ask if that's okay. So the problem is that twice a day, that's when it's more immunosuppressive. And that's, remember I said there's other jacks? That's when this drug starts to affect the other jacks. So that's, that's what we don't want to use. So overall, good drug. Do I recommend that you keep your dog on it for their whole life if they don't need it? Um, probably not. And the big thing to understand about it, it is a once a day drug. Okay? It does not stay in the dog system more than about 18 to 24 hours. So if your dog's allergic and he's itchy 24 hours or, or seven days a week, 365 days a year, guess what? He's got to be on this drug every day, right? If you stop, he's going to get itchy again. Now, the last drug I want to talk about that's more symptomatic is a newer drug called Caddy. And I honestly, I cannot remember. They've finally come out with the actual name for it, but I, I don't remember what it is. So Caddy is actually an injection you can give these guys, which is a antibody against a certain protein called IL-31. So it's really kind of a neat process. And again, this is one of the first things we have for dogs where they actually took what's called IL-31, which is an itch protein. They put it in mice, made anti mice antibodies against this IL-31. But now with biotechnology, we can take that mouse antibody and turn it into looking like a dog antibody. Because, of course, if you took a mouse antibody and put it back in a dog, the dog's just going to make antibodies against that. But we have canonized anti-IL-31. This is not really immunosuppressive. This just binds up the IL-31. It's a good drug, very safe. We use it now in dogs less than a year of age because you can't use Apoquel and you don't want to use these immunosuppressives. And we also use it in dogs who've already been diagnosed with cancer. Because again, any of those three immunosuppressive drugs, you would rather not use in a dog who's already had cancer. Okay? So that is another option. Cost-wise, that drug is more like a Topica as far as long-term. So again, it's not probably for most people going to be a good long-term drug. So those are all the symptomatic things. Like I said, those are things that are going to make your dog feel better now. Long term, though, the best way to control your dog's itch is actually to get allergy tested and go on immunotherapy, okay? The reason for that is it's the only therapy we have to offer for you guys yet in veterinary medicine that can actually change the course of the disease. It actually tries to fix what's going wrong in the immune system. How successful is it at doing that? Very little, okay? I will tell you. About 20, 25% of the dogs, to me, cure. So for me, what, what that means is I can put you on shots for multiple years, stop it, and then you're all better forever. That only happens at about 20, 25%. Most of them, you have to remain on the shots. But the nice thing is, is the shots long-term are not detrimental to your dog at all. They don't affect anything. They don't increase cancer. They don't affect his liver. They don't do any of that. So long, long-term for him, it's the best thing to do. Effectiveness-wise, it's probably about the same as some of, most of these drugs we're using, which is about 75%. The downside with this and why we talked about these other drugs first is it's not something that makes him feel better right away. It takes about six to eight months to really start taking effect. 
what we want from this, and it doesn't make all dogs better. Like, unfortunately, Wolf, he got somewhat better, but we still had to keep him on other drugs. Some dogs, it'll take them from being really, really itchy to down to maybe mildly itchy or moderately itchy, and then you can use the other drugs, but you don't have to use them as much. And that's what I, that's what I want to do. Now, how you do that depends. I will tell you, if you have, it's, if you have a dermatologist around, it's worth going to see one because having the test done by what's called interdermal skin testing, which is the same as what test you would have done, is more accurate. If you don't have a dermatologist around, then the next best thing is to have your, your veterinarian do what's called a blood test or an IgE test. And those are fairly accurate. They're not as accurate as I'd like them to be. But if you've ruled everything else out, it's probably your best option, okay? Now, the other option now is we have two ways of giving it. You can give an injection, which is the old way, which is kind of how we used to do it, okay? We used to give um, injections every week, something that we can teach you how to do. Um, it's actually fairly easy to do. The other way now is something called sassy, and sassy is actually a drop that you give in the mouth. The mouth, like under the skin, is what we call a protective part of the immune system. And that means it's just like why babies and puppies put everything in their mouth. They're trying to teach their immune system that I'm stupid enough to put this in my mouth. I must think it's not going to kill me, okay? <laughs> so your immune system goes, oh, okay, we'll become tolerant to it. Okay, what people don't realize, your body reacts to, your immune system reacts to everything that you're exposed to, but it has to decide dangerous, not dangerous. Okay, what it's decided, unfortunately, with allergies is something that really isn't dangerous, it's going danger, 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 real Robinson, you know? And it should now go, no, no, it's not dangerous. By showing it to the immune system in a different way, what we're trying to do is tell the immune system, look, this is safe, this is not something you have to fight, so you need to react more normally to it and stop having the bad reaction that you do. And that's kind of what you do with both those, okay? So I'm going to finish up in a minute here and then let you guys, because I'm sure you have questions about your own dogs or other things, but the big thing to understand with allergies is just because your dog's itchy doesn't mean he has allergies. You really need to kind of go through this process, and if you go through the process, you're going to get to the bottom line a lot easier and quicker, and then you're going to have a much better outcome long, long term for these guys to keep them comfortable. But remember, it is a process, and if your dog's allergic, he's going to be that way forever. So we need to find the best things to keep him as comfortable as possible. All right, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Lucas. We really appreciate it. And we're going to allow some time for your questions. And again, if your question does not get answered, um, tell us, Dr. Lucas, where would you like people to come and ask you questions if they're not addressed here? I can stand right up here, right up front here. All right. Dr. Lucas will be right up front here. And, um, and so... Let's try to see if we can't get some questions answered so that everybody can hear them. Do we have a mic runner? There you go. Can I do that? Hello, hello. Is this still? Okay, I'll come around. That way that's probably easier.
Thank you so much for this. Um, this has been very, very beneficial. My name is Vicki, and I have a shepherd named Valor, also known as Prince Fluffybutt. Um, he does chew just the bottoms of his feet. I did talk to the veterinarian about it. She doesn't feel he has allergies, but he does it all the time. I have had him on coconut oil. I've heard that that is beneficial. I'm just curious about your thoughts on coconut oil and if it in general is helpful or if it's just one of those old dog's tails that we've been told about. Thank you, Vicki. So this must be, are you the boy? <laughs> well, I would disagree. If you have a dog who's looking at their feet all the time, there is an issue. Now, um, I, like we talked about earlier, yeast would be something to look at because some of these guys, especially with very um, heavily haired feet, which these guys have, you know, they will get yeast in there in between their toes because it's just a nice place for it to grow. All right. So, oh, honestly, an easy thing sometimes too is plain old Selsun Blue shampoo <laughs> and wash his feet in it because it does, yeah, just the feet because the rest of him is doing fine. Now, coconut oil, orally, I don't really think it makes much difference. Part of the issue when you have these allergies is uh, it's very interesting now. We're finding, you know, we used to be so separate of oh, what babies have because any of you have had a baby or had atopic dermatitis as a child and what dogs have, oh, it's completely separate. Well, we're actually coming together now and finding that some of the stuff they knew about babies really go with dogs and some stuff we knew about dogs. They're actually going back now with kids and putting them on allergy shots more than they used to with it, which is great. Because these kids go through what's called the atopic march, which means they have at, um, atopic dermatitis, they get hay fever, and then they get horrible asthma. If you can keep a kid from getting asthma, you're really on the overlight. So topically, I think it's great because I think it helps replenish the barrier function. And again, part of what happens with atopic dermatitis, how these dogs get these pollens is actually through their skin. Okay, they don't breathe them in, they absorb them through their skin. And it's that absorption through the skin, and the skin's kind of not right. And, and because of that, again, turns that danger sign on. Because those, those proteins get exposed, and the body's going, oh, I'm, I'm upset. And then it says, danger, danger, danger. You're what's causing the issue. So yeah, coconut oil on the body, I think, is really a good idea. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Diluted, I normally tell people, so dogs, for us, when we're doing, um, say it's dry or whatever, we do, you know, you sit in the bathtub with oil of Olay after your bath. Well, dogs, then they're going to be a greasy mess. So what I tell people to do is do that pre-bath. So mix up your coconut oil, rub it into a skin, rub it all over, and then bathe them so you'll get, remove a lot of that from the extra. So, okay, but yeah, you can, you can rinse that off. That sounds good. But yeah, you might just try, because if he has a little yeast or something in there, like I said, plain old regular Selsun Blue is one of the, that's easy to try. Um, next question. Let me go grab over here. I know that you said that um, you don't see many allergies with uh, grains, but... With the increased use of GMOs and glycosates in dog food, have you noticed any increase in allergies to those kinds of things? Um, no, at least at this point we have not. Um, so 
and I will say, I mean, there are definitely dogs who are grain allergic. I don't want to make it sound like it's not, but every dog I see now has been on a grain. Well, they can't have food allergies, so they've been on a grain-free diet. It's like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. And the other thing to really understand about dog food, if they're eating dog food, when you take a protein like chicken and you extrude it and do what we do to dog foods, the, the proteins and how they've changed are so amazing compared to the, what you begin with. So it's really hard to compare it to what, what we do. Does that make sense? Okay. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's not because that's why we get them off grains they've had, but it's just not very common. If your dog can tolerate it, is it um, to our best interest to change dog's foods because certain ones have certain attributes to the dog food. Oh, I see what you're saying. Meaning, is the dog missing <laughs> certain things by keeping them on the same dog food? So, and I'm, I'm not a nutritionist, but I will tell you from my perspective, most good dog foods as far as, so this is the problem with dog foods. Most of the premium, uh, you know, if you're looking at a good company and people can say yes and no about some of the larger ones, um, Royal Canaan, Hills, and Purina used to, see Royal Canaan doesn't have it anymore either, I don't think so, had feeding facilities, which means they would make a dog food and they will feed it to their dogs um, and see how their dogs do on it. Because there's what's called the AFCO, and that tells you what's supposed to be in it. So a dog food who meets AFCO, really you shouldn't have to change it because it should have everything the dog needs. My only, the only problem with that is a lot of these smaller companies say, you know, contains AFCO <coughs> ingredients or minimal, but they've never fed it to dogs. And it's like we all know, what goes in here may not be what comes out here, okay? So it may not be digestible to them or usable to them because they've never actually fed it to dogs. I don't know if that answers your question, but most regular dog foods, and, and it's like, you know, and, and really, the best dog food to feed to your dog is a, a dog food that somebody has actually fed to dogs and says, yes, these dogs thrive on it, they do fine, it doesn't cause them any issues. Okay, those are the best foods to feed to them. Yeah. Um, other questions? No? All right. Oh, wait a minute. There's a gentleman. We've noticed that sometimes in the year, they will come in from uh, being, our dogs will come in from being on, on the grass and do a lot of licking and a lot of, clearly it, it's itchy. itchy. Yeah. Does, does it make sense to try and wash off their paws when they come in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the question was, yeah, if, especially if they're uncomfortable, I normally tell people, and you can do this even if your dog's allergic, again, they if they're allergic, they take in these pollens via through the, what's called percutaneously, or through the skin. So we keep hypoallergenic baby wipes right near the door, and when they come in, you just wipe them off with it. You know, so you wipe off in between their toes, and that's much easier. And then you're not getting them moist, and you can just take one and wipe their, their whole body, wipe their toes. By doing that, if they are allergic and there's a lot of pollen out, you're taking that in. Now, some dogs, even if they're not allergic, if the pollens are very high, they can just have more or less uh, like a 
irritant reaction to it. Okay, so because if you look at some of these, yeah, some of these, um, especially like they'll sneeze or rub their nose a little bit more, because of course, where do they have their nose? On the ground. Many of those pollens are, if you look at them under the microscope, they've got little points to them and they can be somewhat irritating. But yeah, that's a great idea and, and we definitely do that all the time. All right. Anybody else have any other questions? All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Dr. Logos. Remember, she will be up here in the front for a few minutes if any of you would like to come and discuss a particular problem. For all of you who are here and all of you who are with us on the stream, we are soon breaking for breaks and lunch, but we will be back with one of the most popular of our program items, and that is the Guide Dog School Reports. They will begin promptly at 1.30 um, our time, Eastern time. And following the guide dog reports, um, at 2.30, we will have um, a presentation on way wayfinding devices, the most accessible, usable apps and devices. And so if you are interested in that, if that interests you, please feel free to stay after the guide dog school reports. And so now, um, feel free to do what you need to do. And we'll see you back here for lunch, but that won't be streamed. <laughs> and then we'll, you don't need to hear us making pigs of ourselves. And then um, we'll stream the guide dog school reports and the final program. And for those of you who are streaming with us, who will not be with us this afternoon, I would like to tell you that our banquet tonight is going to have a phenomenal speaker, uh, Mr. Charlie Crawford. You will hear from Charlie tonight, and you'll hear from me why he was my first choice to ask and why I was so delighted when he said yes. So be back with us tonight. The banquet starts at 6. Charlie will probably begin speaking at around uh, seven-ish, depending on where we are. So we will we will um, begin the stream then. So those are the items that we have for you today to either be here with us in the room or be with us on the stream. So until we get back, that's it. <laughs>